Ah, the rules of unintended consequences. I do love them so. It's Friday. I do love Friday as well. The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. The show is streaming live on the WORD Facebook page, and it is available for free. That's right, for free on the free Odyssey app. They're trying right now to exchange gas for electric and transportation. This is where they take the cart, stick it in front of the horse. We could go into all the little details like the inadequate power grid and too few chewing, uh, chewing, charging stations, short range, high cost, long recharging time, battery fires, all that's real. But then there's something else. Current state and federal gas tax regulations siphon off more than $53 billion a year in tax revenue. So in New York, 67 cents for every gallon of gasoline purchased in New York, that's tax. $1.18 in California. And they account for more than a quarter of the expense of road and highway costs around the nation. So no such system of taxation exists for electric vehicles. For every 10% reduction in gas vehicles being replaced by electric, you have a resulting decrease in more, you know, of about $5 billion every time you 10% of the vehicles are replaced. And here's this. This is just the latest in the long list of issues that the rush to electric crowd failed to address. They didn't even notice it. But then, then, here's the thing. There are those, there, there are some that are noticing it. So they're looking at this as a stealthy surveillance tool. That electrical connection from charger to car, that doubles as that tool. Every interaction records the time, date, location, mileage, etc. Guessing up now means interfacing with the computer system of the vehicle to potentially deliver any and all of the data contained in the vehicle, which is extensive. Charging at home. With the advent of smart meters, consumers can program their vehicles to charge at off-peak power times in order to save money. And this same smart meter, of course, is also recording the date and time and duration of charge and potentially more data from your vehicle, of which you won't even be aware. Gretchen Whitmer, the lovely Michigan governor, she's already pushing the, angelo, uh, the, the edge of the envelope, taking advantage of the surveillance aspect of the modern electric vehicle, and simultaneously solving the lost revenue program because she's going to use GPS technology to track how far you drive. Then you'll be taxed based upon usage. There'll be other things added to that because they can't just do that based on that because that's too close to a flat tax. No, that's not progressive enough. Now, see, this technology, this is supposed to be freeing us. This is supposed to be liberating us. Uh, we're, we're supposed to be moving up. You know, we're supposed to be evolving, right? Warp speed, the Federation, the Borg. Well, maybe not so much that. Um, but that's not what's, this is not the way this is being rolled out on us. The incrementalism. Incrementalism is the hardest to identify poison because it kills you gradually and slowly. 
All the while, you're very happy with the service you're getting while they're poisoning you to death. So, like Siri, let's see if she pops up on my watch. Uh, when she hears her name, do you think she's actually listening for her name or is she eavesdropping? If electronics in your car can call 911 after, after sensing a crash, is it conceivable that they can know how long you parked in a bar parking lot to the interest of the local police? If you show up between charging stations and your speed was above that posted, is it foreseeable you might get a ticket by mail? Is it hard to fathom somebody doing a search of databases to look at uh, license plates and where they were? Every time I get into my Ford F-150, which I drive for spite, <laughs> um, my phone connects to it. And all I allow it to do is connect the phone and the uh, media to it. I do not allow it to connect anything else. And that's because it is an infotainment service and not my master. So um, I don't dump my call logs or my contacts or my texts or pictures of any of that. So if you have a car where you can connect your car, your, your phone via Bluetooth and make it all, and, and you should, listen, I mean, if you're driving around and you get a phone call, you should not hold the phone up to your head. Put it on speakerphone. Drive as safely as you can. This is where technology benefits us, right? How it doesn't benefit us is by stealing all of our information. And the final piece of this tech-driven plan to eliminate personal freedom completely will be the replacement of the currency. See, we won't even have to print money anymore. We'll just, you know, program it. And once this happens, the oversight will be complete. Not only will they know where we are and how long we've been there and how fast we were going, now they're going to know if we ate red meat or if we drank too much alcohol, if we're not going to the gym often enough, you know, that kind of thing. And you can expect some social scoring schemes to develop, of course, for your own good just like the Chinese system in place. And those who seek to control people will suggest that you write this off as a dystopian, hyper-paranoid tale of things to come. Why, we're going dark! But we're not going dark. We're not going dark. We're facing things for what they are. People who seek to control you are always looking for another way to to assert that authoritarianism. One of the ways they do it is by fear. And look, the COVID test showed them that we will fall for the fear. That showed them. And now they believe that, you know, it's sky's the limit. Sky's the limit now. The COVID thing emboldened those who seek to control us. This is why they're not even pretending like, okay, well, uh, you know, like, for example, with guns, for example, I, I watch this on a daily basis and, uh, you know, they're not even, they're not even pretending that they support the Second Amendment. They're out there wanting to repeal it. Gavin Newsom wants to have a 28th Amendment, which basically does away with the Second Amendment. And... The incrementalism, well, that goes on unabated. That goes on unabated. I, uh, you know, 
I, I, I have a, and listen, I, I do it just because I'm faster than most. <laughs> but have you noticed you go into a lot of places now and they don't even have cashiers anymore. When you're going to check out, they don't have a cashier. And, uh, so you, you're checking yourself out. So you're helping their bottom line by checking yourself out. And I used not to do that, but now at some places I go, I have no choice. And I am faster than most cashiers are. Don't ask me why. Maybe I'm just in a hurry. They're not in a hurry. But uh, we, we have fallen for, I mean, all of this self-service nonsense and you don't have to wait in line anymore and all this other nonsense. We've fallen for that hook, line, and sinker. The slow roll of incrementalism is very present with us today. And they have taken this iconic symbol of freedom and mobility. There used to be a, there used to be this car out put out by Plymouth called the Arrow, and they had a song to go with it about me and my Arrow going out on the highway and all this other stuff. Yeah, that's the, the car is a symbol of freedom and mobility. They're using that against us now. A Sentinel, they they they, they it's on guard. It's on guard duty with us right now. So you have to decide. Now, we should do this. We should do this pushback in the most civilized means possible. We shouldn't get excited about it. We shouldn't get angry about it. We should just be determined and resolute and bring a, 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 a frightening sense of not going to budge to the table when we do it and if that fails of course then get set get set now the left don't kid yourself on this and here's the thing with this I, I fully understand this while I sit here and I say we should do everything in our means to do it peacefully the first time they draw first blood when they get out there and they go when they start going bulk on us right Okay, I'll meet you halfway on that one. No problems. Just, you know, don't cry. <laughs> don't cry when I meet you halfway. Because that's going to be something that the left is completely unprepared for. They think they can manage everything. They think they can manage Antifa. They think they can manage uh, the Green New Deal and all this other nonsense. They think they can manage you. And the truth is, they can't manage any of it. There is one unrelenting truth about all of these cases being brought against Trump right now. And, uh, well, if one thing is not correct, then everything about what they're do trying to do to him is a lie. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. All right. Common Sense Retirement Planning text line at 71307. K 
catch the podcast for free on the free Odyssey app. I'm streaming live on the WORD Facebook page, if that is your cup of tea. Um, all right. One of the things that is true that I don't see anybody really talking about is that in order for any of this stuff about Trump, with the exception of the case in New York, okay, that's all about his business and the fraud. They say that he perpetrated all that other stuff, which that is, and that's all based on the fact that he paid Stormy Daniels. And they're going into so many different directions, like we're just going to try it all just like Danny, Fanny, whatever her name is. Anyway, all of these things that are getting out there where they're bringing, uh, bringing charges against him, these, all of these things can only even be, they can only try to apply these things if it is more or less evidently true that the election was not stolen. And the fact of the matter is that not, that it's not unreasonable to believe that the election was stolen. And consequently, it isn't possible for it to be evidently true that the election was not stolen. And that's why the case against Trump and his collaborators collapses. Whether or not a corrupted legal system recognizes that. There is no case against Trump. Trying to stop a stolen election... We should be running over each other to try to stop that. There's no reason to bend over and be reamed. Or, if you will, pinched in the name of comedy. Comedy, comedy. Sp uh, you know, social peace is a spurious idea if it's based on lies and election stealing. Trump knows that. Trump knows that. How malevolent is this deep state? Well, they're malevolent enough to torture logic itself in the pursuit of power and social control, and you can see that in the way of the Trump indictments. Informal logic warns of the danger of good reasoning of certain logical fallacy. And one of these is the fallacy of begging the question, that is, of assuming what must be proved. And this arises in philosophical analyses, which suggests it occupies a central place among logical fallacies, because even philosophers, well, they get fooled by it too. And you can't dismiss it lightly. Question begging is a, you know, a deformation of reasoning. The deep state may be willing to run roughshod over it, but we shouldn't be. But, Begging the question is a central feature of the idea that it's unreasonable to believe the 2020 election was stolen. And given the pre-election irregularities, the bellwether county anomalies, and the unbelievable voting ratios and the ballots arriving in the several days after election day. I'll give you, I'll get, so let's, let's look at the, and the ratio is always the important thing because ratios do not lie. In podcasting, you'll see podcasts that are out there. They're, they're doing a, a really good, really good thing. And they'll fall in and out of the rankings all the time. They'll, they'll rank high. Then they're not even there. They're not even the top 250. Then they come back in and then the top 40. Then they fall back out again. It's just, but then you see some podcasts that are out there that are never out of the top three. And you look at that and you're saying, that is fault. This is going against logic. The ratio is not there. Now, 
there's an analogy to this. And that is to men competing in women's sports. Certain men, biological males, who think they are women are very anxious to compete with women in various sports. And you can foresee a number of difficulties there. And these have to do with the fact that human, fe human females are not as fast or strong as males. Now, consider, if you will, the relative plausibility or implausibility of the following three things. It's unreasonable to believe that biological males competing in women's sports is unfair. It's reasonable to believe that biological males competing in women's sports is unfair. It's reasonable to believe that biological males competing in women's sports is not unfair. First is question begging. Those who embrace this are in fact fanatics. They're lunatics committing a logical fallacy. They, that's one of the necessary conditions to make them blind. And this is what makes them a fanatic. The second proposition is that of conservatives. And the third is that of any moderate transgender advocate who might be out there. But we haven't seen any moderates yet. So, now, Trump's opponents, they take for granted that it is downright unreasonable to believe that the 2020 election was stolen. They should, one and all, support the first proposition, the fanatical one. So for the William Bars and the Steve Calabrese's, the, uh, both of whom are broadly supportive of the Trump indictments, do you think it's unreasonable to believe that biological males competing in women's sports is unfair to women? If not, why not? Because based on your public declarations in the aftermath of the Trump indictments, you think it's unreasonable to believe that the election was stolen, as opposed to merely thinking it's reasonable to believe that the election was not stolen. And it's a good question. The government never investigated the 2020 election. We aren't able to know. Nobody has a nobody has a solidified, justified, true belief in this because we're not able to know whether this, the election was stolen or not. We have a lot of evidence that points to this. And yet... The unreasonableness postulate coming from people like Barr and Calabrese just is the claim that we do more or less know the election was not stolen. That it's unreasonable to think otherwise. But why do we know that? Where's the proof of that? And why aren't they taking the exact same approach to transgenderism and women's sports as they are taking to Trump in the 2020 election? if we assume that they oppose the transgenderist lunacy. And to ask the question is to answer it. Because some of these people just can't stand Trump. They have Trump derangement syndrome. Now, there's differences in this, no doubt about it. The, the election of 2020, the biological males competing in women's sports, but there are minor differences. It shows how feckless and unreasoning is the case against Trump and his associates and their efforts to resist the rubber stamping of an arguably fraudulent election. And that's what he thinks it was. And he's doing what everybody should be doing if you think it was. And if any people in government think it was, 
they should be doing the same thing. Now, what did we see? What did we see January the 6th? Certification was going on. Now, in 2000 and 2004 and 2016, we had objections to the to the uh, to certifications of various ballots coming out of various states and everything, and uh, nobody said anything about that. Nobody got nobody got indicted or anything. And yet we do this as one time, and we do this. You know, in those elections that occurred, counting didn't stop in the middle of the night. And when it did stop, when it did stop in Florida, it was so public, it was crazy. I mean, we're out there, we're holding up a chat, we're holding up a, 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 a data card that was the, the ballot, and we're trying to figure out by that hanging chad, what was the emotional intent of the voter? This says, this says for Bush, but I think they want it to, to be for Gore. I know now why the uh, Pentagon ignored Afghanistan, and I'm going to share that with you. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. You can catch the show live streaming on the WORD Facebook page. And, uh, you know, the podcast is out there for you for free on the free Odyssey app. Global warming. Well, while... Okay, let, let me explain to you what's supposed to happen here, okay? Just, so, just to set the stage. So... In the two weeks when we were going to pull out of, in the two weeks preceding when we were going to pull out of Afghanistan, the Pentagon officials should, should have been very razor-focused on this objective. There should have been nothing else going on in front of them, right? This should have been their thing. This was their mission, get everybody out of there alive, which we failed at, right? And... I've, I've sort of wondered why that was such an issue. You would think that all eyes would be on, on deck on this one. You'd, you'd, everybody would be on, on point with this one. But no. You see, the problem was, while we were in the middle of this, uh, the run-up to and the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, the top Pentagon officials were working to get the Secretary of Defense to sign a major climate change initiative. They wanted to have a document that declares climate change a major national security risk. The emails that were intercepted indicate frustration from climate change-focused Pentagon officials at the difficulty of getting the plan signed, but that ultimately their determination to focus on climate change even during the withdrawal paid off because Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin signed the climate change initiative on September 1st just six days after 13 Americans were killed by a Taliban suicide bomber. What a small omelet that was to make. 
James Fitzpatrick, a member of the U.S. Army Reserve who obtained the emails through his organization, the Center to Advance Security in America, says the emails show military leadership was being hounded by climate activists within the government as if as it was trying to navigate withdrawal. So, while they should have been focusing on withdrawing, they were locked up in meeting rooms with a bunch of climate change nut jobs, reading bureaucratic paperwork about the importance of inserting the green agenda, uh, green agenda climate consideration into every decision that they make. And let me explain something to you. There are no theoretic, theoretic threats, okay? Climate change is a theory, and it's not a very good theory either. Not at all. And uh, the, the fact that they did this, this is, this is, this is one of these moments where you sit back and you look at yourself, and I say to myself, you know, I served for however long I served, and I served under people that are now in these positions in this Pentagon now. Uh, you know, back then we didn't do things this way. We only dealt with reality, and we did not deal with any sort of virtue signal the closest we came to virtue signaling was like uh you know during the AUSA drive every year the one where the first sergeant would say hey we want everybody to volunteer to give one dollar a month to AUSA which that was a lot of money but I mean we would you know it first sergeant knew who was and not signed up to give money to the AUSA that's as close to a virtue signal as we came to and the only war that they were paying attention to for vast stretches at a time as they looked at this debacle that was this pullout was the Green Agenda. Did anybody over there notice the junk priorities? And of course not. Nobody was punished for this one, although they should have. Head should have grown. Lloyd Austin, he should have resigned. Millie should have resigned. Whoever was in charge of the withdrawal should have resigned. They should have been allowed, they should have been encouraged to resign. They should, it should have been demanded that they resign. We've seen since the impact of this, like the Russian invasion of Ukraine and China's menacing moves against Taiwan and the abandonment of the Abraham Accords and the formation of the BRICS alliance as an alternative to any U.S. alliance. In just one moment, with one misplaced calculation and consideration, we went from the world superpower to the joke. And right now, as we speak, these clowns are having meetings about global warming. While you've got predators like North Korea and China and Russia, they're out there and they are training and thinking and considering attacking us and that's not a far stretch because we consider this every day military planners think about this every day well I don't know about today but they used to this is not the first time this skewed global warming junk science priorities come up in Maui right they were or excuse me on Maui the female officials reportedly made time from their busy schedule in the North Shore resorts and spas to skip Lahaina's res rescue and recovery for a while and attend a week's worth of greeny climate change training 
So while you got a bunch of people that just lost everything they own on the planet, and now they're trying to encircle it. Have, have you seen this? this? They're putting up cyclone fences with black mesh. They're encircling Lahaina so that you don't get to see it. So nobody gets to see it. And you can't even stop. There's some people saying, well, hey. There's some that are trying to say, listen, we, uh, we, uh, we want to... Uh, We want to lessen the impact on social media. Of what? The truth? Or what just happened? And yeah, uh, okay. Let, let's let's put this into perspective, okay? The green agenda does in fact bring with it a national security risk because when something really matters... They put this greeny superstition. That comes in first. That comes in the first of the priority line. So that's what's wrong with the picture. That's what's wrong with the picture. The military should only ever be concerned with what are we blowing up today? Who are we having to kill today? That's what they should be concerned with. They should not be concerned with any of this other stuff. They shouldn't be concerned with social media, social justice. There, There's no such thing as social justice in the military. There's only destruction. When the military's called on to do a job, we're not, we were never going out there saying, listen, we're here just in time for Christmas. Come sit on my knee and tell me what you want for Christmas. No, no. I was telling you what I was bringing you for Christmas. We're going to have to make a decision about Ukraine, and that's going to be pretty soon. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. All right. Here we go, into the weekend, long weekend, although I'll be here on Monday. I'll be here with you. We're going to have to do something about Ukraine very shortly because we are feeding into it in a way that is not sustainable. Course one is to do whatever it takes to get them to win the war outright, and that means driving the Russians out of the Ukrainian territory. And the advantage to this is that we would get an unequivocal win and humiliate Putin. But this is going to take a lot of money, and it's not clear that we're ready to empty our arms depots for this. We also would have to take time to train the UKRs up, and I don't know if we have that either. Course of action two is uh, basically just walk away. Wash our hands of the whole mess. The advantage is that we've, if we abandon Ukraine, we're done, and the war ends fast. And so does our endless funding of it. It also eliminates the risk of us going to war with Russia, at least in the short term. The first disadvantage is that Putin wins. Aggression prevails and Ukraine is enslaved. And that's bad. And capitulation also announces that we're done as the preeminent power. And that's a big deal. So the rest of the world will look at us pumping up Ukraine and then turning tail and running because it got hard and call it Kabul 2, bail on the borscht. And this ensures that every enemy of America around the world is going to see us as feckless and that would be accurate. Course of action three is to force a negotiation to resolve the dispute since neither belligerent seems to be willing to compromise. 
And uh, the advantage is, at least to us, that it gets this war over with. It is certainly not in our interest to have this continue dragging on and on. It's the second cheapest of the courses of action, and it avoids sucking our troops into a dumb new war. The big disadvantage is that Putin is going to end up being rewarded to a limited extent for his aggression. You're not going to, tell, to talk him into just leaving Ukraine, especially the ethnically Russian-dominated areas in the east and the strategically vital Crimea. Putting that aside, to get them to settle, we're going to have to force the Ukrainians to give in to some extent. Ukrainians are not the giving in kind of people. We, when we were looking at them as, as opponents in the 80s, we realized that this, this may very well be one of those moments where we would have to get in here and think to ourselves, well, these guys are going to go down hard. And we fully intended to help them go down hard. Don't kid yourself on that one, but uh, you know what I'm saying. You, don't, you understand what I'm saying. Now, we might be in the position of telling Zelensky, hey, if you want to keep fighting, that's fine, but we're not giving you any more bullets. Now, that would be a bad look after our politicians have made this guy out to be a cross between Churchill, Joan of Arc, and Bono. And the fourth and final course of action is the least advantageous to us, and therefore, naturally, the one of our the one of our politicians that have embraced it so far, the meat grinder option. This is the course of action where we give the Ukrainians just enough ammo to keep on fighting. Keep the killing going on indefinitely. And the advantage is, is that Putin's not going to obtain all of his, all the things he wants, all of his objectives, not yet. But the real advantage is... Uh, for the politicians who get to put off the tough decision about a course of action that would end this catastrophe by simply passing the butcher's bill to the young Ukrainians and Russians who die while we dither, which is what we do all the time. This is what politicians do all the time. It's kicking the can down the road. Our politicians and celebrities fly into uh, Kiev and pose for pictures, pretending to be doing something. And what they're really doing is just refusing to do anything. And I don't know how long this course of action is sustainable. The Ukrainians are running out of Ukrainians. They're running out of ammo. And our citizens are on the verge of running out of patience. We got a lot of disasters here in the United States. Real problems here. We've got problems on our borders. And it's not clear how long they're going to be willing to keep pumping dollars into the Crimean Cuisinart. At best... This devolves into the kind of static Cold War situation we've seen over the last 70 years on the Korean Peninsula at the 38th parallel. Not really much of a best case at all. Now, the worst case is that the Russians decide to do the patient game, which is just build up their forces, mass up, and then crush the Ukrainians before we can spin up from giving them just enough to stay in the fight, giving them the massive aid they would need to beat off a huge offensive. What we've got going on right now with this, the way we are doing this, the way we're waging this proxy war, is we're treading water. And you can only tread water for so long before you get exhausted and you drown. So Republicans, those of you right now that aspire and think that at some point in the next few years you're going to be in charge again, you're going to have to choose a course of action and pick one. And they're all terrible. They're all terrible. 
but we're in it. I will talk to you guys on Monday. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas.